Acton with, with my granddaughter, with Ray Kai. It's very touching. It's been wonderful working with people like Wayne Blair. Very exciting because we've only sat around and watched him on Redfern now, but to actually bring, see him out in Bree and acting with him, it's amazing. That's the voice of community consultant and actor Mary Waits talking about working with her granddaughter Ray Carr Waits and Wayne Blair on new Australian film Emu Runner. Hello, my name is Matthew Eels. In this episode of the Cinema Australia podcast, I'm joined by filmmaker Imogen Thomas to discuss Emu Runner, which is set to screen at the Gold Coast Film Festival on April 7. Imogen discusses how the film came about, working with Wayne Blair, and how her entire cast and crew became emu wranglers during the shoot. Technically, emu runners' budget limitations are obvious, but once you get past that, you'll discover a beautiful little independent film about a young girl coming to terms with the death of her mother and a grieving father doing the best he can to guide her through the trauma of losing a loved one. You can find more information about the Gold Coast Film Festival screening at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Anyway, enjoy. He does have a conscience in some way, but he's kind of like a uh, just a, a madman who can out-drink, out-last, out-fun out everyone all the time. Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself. The day that we were going out to shoot the open water scenes, we were told that there were some dead whale carcasses that were bringing in real tiger sharks and great white sharks, and they'd been sighted in the area. We were told not to go in the water. just see instantly that how talented Rhiannon was and there was just it really blew me away there is still a bit of a, a boys club out there for sure and also with Dee Wallace she gave me great input on the script for this to make her have a very pro-choice stance throughout the film and the simple fact is the movie, the whole thing occurs because a right-wing guy blows up a clinic. Very organically, somehow, the name The Comet Kids popped up and we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is, who are The Comet Kids? We just thought it was very, very important to uh, start writing more roles for women and uh, women not just, as I said, as girlfriends, mothers and people in love, but women who are their own people as we are. <laughs> Imogen Thomas, thank you very much for uh, joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you as, as a guest. Thank you for having me. Um, so it's been almost eight months since Emu Runner had its uh, world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. How was that experience for you, taking this small independent Australian film to one of the biggest international film festivals in the world? Well, I, to be honest, I hadn't done really my homework um, prior to, um, you know, the whole sort of lead up to it. I was so sort of engrossed in just... Uh, getting the film completed and uh, maintaining sort of quality control all the way to the sort of bitter end um, of that process. And um, so 
I went over to Toronto with, uh, I was very adamant um, about having community representation when I went over to Toronto and we were very fortunate that Screen Australia came on board and agreed uh, to uh, bring Mary Waits, who plays the grandmother, uh, to represent the community uh, and to uh, also uh, present the film and give uh, a perspective from the community and from, you know, yeah, everyone. So, yes, it was... It was uh, we definitely we definitely felt like we were in a very big harbour <laughs> in a very small boat, um, but that said, we did feel like we held our ground. Um, uh, the audience has, you know, it, it was quite overwhelming having you know spent you know five months uh, editing the film and being in these very sort of confined uh, environments suddenly to be in a, a big cinema and to have, you know, 300 or so people looking at you, you know, and presenting this film. So it was a great, um, you know, a great accomplishment by so many people. I can't really take the credit. You know, there's so many people that have been, uh, have made this uh, film possible from, you know, people in the Barona community but also within the film industry and even my partner who uh, is, was the lead producer, Victor mm-hmm. Everett. Uh, you spoke about Mary there. Uh, how did she handle this experience of travelling over to uh, Toronto? Uh, well, uh, again, uh, she was a bit uh, – <laughs> it was a, quite an overwhelming proposition. Uh, mm-hmm. But she also uh, has invested a lot in the project mm-hmm. and also saw the importance of, I suppose, to be the person that comes back, you know, experiences and to be the voice of her community um, on the other side of the world mm. and uh, being able to take that experience and and, and relay it to, to the broader community when she came back. It felt very, you know, like a very important thing and she, she understood that. I mean, of course, I would have loved to have taken um, the young girl, her granddaughter, Ray mm. Kai, mm. Waits, but it really, really, we left on a Thursday and we were back on a Monday. You know, it was like going wow. to Toronto for the week. Yeah, for the long weekend. You know, <laughs> it was a bit crazy. Um, and, you know, it, it was, you know, we pretty much uh, arrived and then the next day just in uh, interviews and doing um, the requirements to get the film out there and talking about the film as well and also trying to find ourselves a sales agent. So, mm, mm. so yeah, we had our work cut out for us. <laughs> Uh, so you uh, yourself first travelled to the small community of Brewerina. Is that is no, that a, uh, no Brewerina. Brewerina. Uh, Three and then Brewerina. Then it always run off your lips much more easily. Right. Okay. Uh, and that's in New South Wales. And and you first travelled there fifteen years ago to work with a women's refuge on an art project. Um, what was that journey like for you personally? And what happened there to inspire Emu Runner? Uh uh, yes, I suppose initially I, you know, I was, uh, I had a, I was a mother myself and I had a young child and I was engaged with this arts initiative to, initiative to work with uh, this uh, women's shelter called Arganya. And I suppose it was, um, you know, quite a departure from any other experience I'd sort of, uh, and I just sort of threw myself into this world. And my partner also works in early childhood 
and he was, you know, he sort of took took my daughter while I was sort of engaged with uh, the women's shelter. And I realised pretty uh, early on that, you know, I just had to roll up my sleeves and do practical things and it was actually more about just sitting back and observing and listening and, and talking to people to kind of understand the dynamics and the real uh, challenges um, these women were facing uh, in their community and their lives and and I think it was that sort of uh, exchange and I, I suppose having you know going through having a you know a family myself there was some common ground there for both of us mm-hmm. and uh, that helped sort of finding commonalities and uh, understanding you know how they were feeling um, in, in in many ways. I was also very fortunate to um, meet up with Frame Barker at that time, who was the director of the Indigenous preschool there, and I had a good rapport with her. And again, it just gave me a window into uh, young families and just seeing the challenges and the struggles um, of day-to-day existence um, for these um, for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell us in your own words uh, what Emu Runner is about, uh, because it's quite a layered story once you break down all the characters in the film. Uh, so, so what's it about? Well, I suppose the initial premise is about it's about a little girl and it's about loss. You know, it's about a little girl whose mother dies unexpectedly, and it's it's how that little girl has to charter this new world that she's sort of. Um, uh, entering into and that means um you know it it sort of also changed the dynamics of her family existence um and her father is also adamant about keeping the family together and sort of stepping up into this role of you know um of doing that role uh, that job and but uh, he is also under a lot of scrutiny himself and it's while it's it sort of touches on um everyone else's experience, it really sort of charters her journey. And for her, it's also about sort of um, holding on to that very deep connection she had with her mother and that comes through her connection with country and with, in this particular case, her her um, uh, totem, which is the emu. Um, so after her mother's death, this emu appears and this little girl sees this, sort of as a sign, as a symbol of, you know, her mother, you know, communicating to it. And it is this sort of communion with this animal that she creates. But she also has to learn through this animal that, uh, you know, she sort of sees the life cycle of this animal as well um, unfolding as she's trying to come to terms and and live with the loss of her mother. Mm. So, and this is, you know, the... the, the, the idea of go, taking a story about loss be, was very important because this is sort of something that is, uh, you know, it's it, it's something that happens in this community an awful lot, uh, especially the Indigenous community. And it was something I just kept uh, hearing every time I would um, catch up with Frayne and well, lots of people in the community, Mary, it was usually the first thing that they would engage with me and say, oh, you won't believe it, you know, you're always asking about people and it's enormously, um, uh, 
you know, but well, for anyone, you know, any, well, losing someone is affects us all, and it affects us all very differently. But seeing how these communities have to deal with it um, on a very regular basis is quite. Um, uh, you can't help but being uh, affected mm. and um, moved by their uh, experiences. Mm. Um, when the trailer was released uh, last year ahead of the Toronto screening, I noticed a few comments and people were quick to compare it to Storm Boy. And uh, after watching the film, there are quite a few similarities. Uh, was Storm Boy an inspiration for Emu Runner and, and this story? I had seen the film. I can't say, you know, I had seen the film. Uh, I don't know if I uh, directly used it as a sort of, a you know, a huge reference point. But I think I, you know, tackling uh, a subject like grief and loss, I felt that it was also the most sort of engaging entry point to tell the story felt like a child's perspective mm. um and i also thought that it was important that you needed uh that element of fantasy and escape uh to sort of counter counterweight the uh the the heaviness of you know grief and loss mm. so it provides i think oh, you know i believe it provides some sort of uh uh, yeah, an element of sort of respite and a place to go as this girl sort of grapples with these, you know, bigger issues. So, yes, I, yes and no, I suppose, yes, it has had an influence, but not I haven't, you know, spend a lot of time studying it. I have seen the film, though. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a there's a few uh, pelicans at the beginning of the film uh, flying around, and I wondered if that was a little nod or a little wink to uh, Storm Boy. Um. It, look, I really for me it was just really responding to the country and the environment. Mm. Um, it wasn't sort of uh, that intentional. Uh, at that time, you know, there was the water, the river was flowing uh, when we shot the film. It's it's in sort of very poor shape at the moment in northwestern New South Wales, which you would have heard. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was just relishing in the beauty, which I and. The thing about Brewarinate has, you know, these incredibly, you know, old fish traps, um, you know, they're believed to be maybe, you know, 40,000, 50,000 years old, you know, and so there's just this quite powerful history that just um, oozes from the landscape mm. and mm. you can't not sort of uh, be enamoured of, of nature. Mm. I, that's, I, I'm always sort of totally uh, uh, or inspired by it, you know. You know, they have their hormonal cycles like all animals. Um, but, uh, you know, for the little girl, I think, you know, uh, we all, you know, we we're all there sort of being emu wranglers really, mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to keep them out of frame, trying to bring them into frame, you know. It, it's, um, <laughs> it was a kind of a bit of a dance and also just experimenting. Uh, there's scenes in the film where, uh, you know, we play, you know, experimented with, you know, how do emus respond to music? Mm. And um, those moments ended up being quite uh, sort of revealing and and quite magical because, you know, uh, the emu like, and you sort of went into this strange sort of zone because you were swept away by a piece of music as mm. was, you know, the character of the little girl playing, you know, Jem. And, and then this emu also had a curiosity. Uh, so, yes, we, we did a lot of uh, play. It was a lot of play um, and also quite challenging mm. to get the shots we wanted. But, you know, this emu farm in particular, were they'd had a lot of, they'd had documentary 
industry filmmakers there and they'd also had um, uh, filmmakers there doing fiction films. So they were quite well versed. I provided sort of a shot list and they sort of said, yeah, I think we can do that. I suppose the big challenge was getting a father with, uh, you know, his little um, clutch of, you know, baby emus um, mm-hmm. because there had been a drought and the fathers tend to not like to sit on their nests so, and getting them so that they would be comfortable with, you know, a crew and filming and stuff like that. So, But it all happened. We managed to sort of pull it off. Um, mm. I mean, we were, only, we were one camera band and you know, <laughs> once, you know, one cinematographer and one camera assistant. It was a sort of a documentary-sized sort of crew. Speaking of that, uh, your partner, Victor, who you mentioned earlier, he was the producer on Emu Runner, um, he described the making of this film as being an unconventional unconventional one and uh, that the crew were pushed to their limits. Uh, can you elaborate on that and uh, and describe your experiences making Emu Runner compared to other films? Well, I don't have the, I don't have the, I, I haven't made another feature film. This is my first feature film. Uh, but I suppose at the beginning of 2017, uh, you know, I'd actually spent quite a lot of time developing this project and I had tried going through sort of conventional channels to finance the film and you know like all filmmakers you know it's an an awfully difficult process um you know uh making a film uh, regardless whatever film it is but um, I'd sort of reached a bit of a crossroads and I wasn't really sure how I was going to move forward and then I um Mary Waits was in town and I caught up with her and she uh we were just sort of, again, just talking about life and she, I was, you know, catching up on people in the Brawarana community and a person that had been associated with the project uh, had died and it was really, that became quite pivotal for me because, you know, I was, it sort of pushed me, I suppose, into action because she sort of turned to me and said, we really need a film. When are we going to make this film we've been working on? Um, you know, it would be a really good process for healing and, and I agreed with her and I really didn't want to give her a reason why we couldn't make a film. And so I said, okay, I've got some, you know, some savings. I'll put them on the table and we'll see how we go and we'll see what sort of uh, response we can get from the larger Brewerina community. If the community are on board at large, you know, and, and want to be involved, then we, we can we'll make whatever film we can make. Um, but that said, you know, it was a very tough shoot. It, uh, it wasn't easy. Um, a lot of the cast are not uh, trained actors. Um, we were very fortunate that there was a few trained actors like Wayne Blair came on board mm. and Georgia Blizzard and Rob Carlton and Muriel Spiram. Mm. So having those actors that were trained sort of anchored the project Um but it really was a huge labour of love mm. uh, on across the board, and that was, you know, everybody. You know, if we we sort of hit some sort of crisis point, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? You know, uh, one of the actors um, couldn't drive, and we were going, oh my gosh, I can't afford, you know, to hire a low loader. Oh, how no. possibly going to create this illusion that you know the social worker can drive and. Mm. We're very lucky, you know, the supermarket owner in Brewarrina said, oh, I've got a trailer, you can borrow that, you know. So wow. So very low trailer, you know. And, <laughs> again, it was just sort of if we had a problem, we would t- tend to just, you know, turn to the community and ask mm. them, does anyone know of, you know, and lo and behold, someone go, oh, go call such and such or direct me in a direction <laughs> to kind of get things, you know, solved. And, mm. and, and it happened that way. And I was very fortunate 
fortunate also a lot of um, friends who uh, just kind of said, yeah, I'll commit. You know, you, mm. you didn't have people coming on board to the project. It wasn't sort of driven by money. It was driven by the idea about the project and the idea of working with the community mm. to deliver this film back to the community. Um, mm. That was really... Uh, number one priority. You know, I, I mean, when you asked earlier about Toronto, I, I didn't have any um, expectations about the project. My expectation was that I would make the best film possible for the community mm. and that's what I was sort of driven by and mm. that I wasn't going to compromise and we were going to do it together and that's sort of what we did and all the other things have just been, you know, lovely surprises, mm. I suppose. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Um, there's no nothing like the dynamics of a small uh, community to come together to help everyone out. Yeah, no, and that's this project was very much driven by that mm. by that um, uh, energy. Mm. Uh, you spoke about Wayne Blair. He's a terrific actor who brings a lot of uh, filmmaking knowledge to any project, um, be, uh, having directed some incredible films both locally and overseas. Can you tell us about working with Wayne and what he brought to this film other than just uh, his great performance? Uh, well, he, yeah, he is an extraordinary um, artist, mm. both actor, director, you know, he's a man of, you know, um, many talents. And I, I, I feel very, I felt very privileged to have him uh, come on board and to not only in capacity as an actor, but yeah, you're absolutely right. He, he brought many things uh, to the table. Um, and I think it was quite uh, vital uh, to have someone of his caliber because it was quite a t terrifying undertaking, you know, and, and as I said, it was for a lot of people it was going into a world of the unknown. But watching Wayne, you know, take, you know, these huge uh, risks as an actor mm -hmm. um, sort of set the bar for uh, other uh, the other community members who were also um, performing alongside him and seeing that, you know, he created, created this safe space for them to take risks uh, and seeing him sort of taking risks, I think, really allowed them to have that freedom to extend themselves because for them, you know, we, we, were all, we were learning a lot from, you know, everyone in the community. They were giving us an education, but they were, the narrative, even though it's a fiction film, it's a story that's very close to their lives mm -hmm. and so... They're working on instinct, uh, and I think for Wayne, it was he he could provide, um, I suppose that that really strong uh, foundation for them to um, to enter this project at, at the same sort of level as he was sort of engaging to, mm -hmm. um, and but also I think he he you know for that community he's. He's a rock star. Yeah, I watched some uh, video interviews with uh, some of the ladies and they, they seemed a little bit starstruck by having Wayne Blair in town. <laughs> they were. Uh, I mean, you know, they, you know, they watch Redfern now and mm. on a sort of a loop and so it was quite, uh, they were all quite shocked. You know, <laughs> me and Wayne Blair's playing Jade and I said, well, he's coming. He's going to be here this week. And, <laughs> but he was, you know, he was enormously generous. Mm. Um, he, you know, he would... You know, anyone stopping the street for a photo, you know, he was he was very available and uh, just sort of slipped in uh, to the role and to the whole dynamics of this, you know, 
crew, which was like a little family. And uh, I feel, you know, he really, his level of investment and, and care was um, sort of, well, every, you know, you felt he had, he cared about it just as much as we all did. Mm-hmm. So um, it was sort of, you know, it sort of breeds a, a very, um, a lot of collegiality and, um, yeah, you feel stronger for it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ray Kai Waits, uh, she's very impressive in this film as, as the main character, Jem. Was there a large uh, casting process for this character or, or any of the other characters for that matter? Well, with uh, all my film projects, I, I did a short film prior to this. I just try and uh, present that we do open auditions and everyone uh, – has an opportunity to come along and audition. And if you're keen to be involved, I would do everything in my power to find a role or some sort of um, engagement in the process. You know, some people want to be in front of the camera, some people want to be behind the camera. And um, in the case with the children, uh, the Brewarrina Central School were enormously helpful, as was uh, the uh, Catholic School St Patrick's and in uh it, you know, uh, I say broadcasting that I was having, holding auditions, and I had uh, three lots of auditions, and just slowly um, it became apparent on seeing people coming back, you know, a second time, and I always had the camera involved in that process, mm. and it, it became very clear who was more comfortable with the camera and and just uh, could kind of go about their business without even, you know, really uh, being at all sort of inhibited by that um, sort of apparatus. And that was quite important um, from the onset. But uh, I did uh, get it down to um, a few, and then it was also very important to find uh, someone who also had the support um, and that, that, I mean, you know, for a, this film, you know, the story is all centred around a little girl. So she was going to be in a lot of the scenes. She's in, you know, the large majority of this film. And she needed a lot of support for that. And I saw that uh, Ray Kai had this enormous presence on screen, but she also had a family that were, were also prepared to step up and support her while she was going to undertake this film and you know it was a struggle for her at times and having that family support was intrinsic to get us to get us there and um and that was you know her her grandmother plays her grandmother Mm. and her um grandfather plays the role of the uncle and her cousin Letitia uh plays her sister so she was sort of surrounded by family members which also allowed her I think to feel a little bit more relaxed um, and to feel quite comfortable um, in that process. And very quickly, she she was totally um, uh, understood the sort of uh, process of filmmaking and would be, you know, on our toes, you know, making sure that the camera assistant, you know, you know, make sure you get your sharps right. You know, <laughs> I'm only doing one more take of this and, you know. Oh, wow. You know, she was... It, well, yeah, but it was challenging. There yeah, was, yeah. You know, I, mm. it was definitely um, a challenging process because it's very confronting, mm. um, just the content of the film. And and with that 
you know, there's a level of concentration and just emotional energy to to deliver those sort of performances, which she does. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before that this is your first uh, feature film and, and so many Australian feature films are made by first-time directors. Uh, what's the biggest lesson you took out of making uh, Emu Runner? I, th- I suppose, you know, you do, you know, with this uh, particular project, I had done a lot of planning mm. uh, and you can't do enough, I think, mm. uh, <laughs> because you're always, um, you know, regardless how much planning you do, you'll always be up against uh, things that will be out of your control Mm. and it actually makes you uh, incredibly agile. So it makes you not go, oh, I can't, you you sort of, you've got backup plans. You didn't even realise you had them but you go, oh, this isn't working this way or a location fell through and you've got to kind of, yeah, be able to work on your feet but because I suppose that you've spent so much time planning things, you have sort of taken things into consideration you hadn't realised mm. um, at the time. Um, so once all the red dirt settles, are you planning to jump uh, straight back into the director's chair on another project? Or do you have anything coming up? Or? Uh, well, because uh, Victor and my, myself, we've also been producing the film, uh, we've just, we've, we're still on that uh, path of delivering the film. Yes. Um, not only to festivals <laughs> but also, you know, uh, you know, the, the whole sort of distribution process for us sort of came uh, after sort of Toronto. Uh, mm. So we've just sort of been trying to join up all those dots and um, once that sort of uh, settles down, absolutely the plan is to uh, begin the next project. And, you know, there's a few little, uh, well, how would I say, irons in the fire, mm. other projects mm. that I've been de- developing and um, very excited to, you know, see what else comes, you know, from other directions as well. Um Absolutely. Uh, Imogen, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, Congratulations again. Thanks so much, Matthew, and I enjoyed talking to you as well. Uh, Thanks for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Cinema Australia.